What is up? Welcome back to Modern Day Marketer. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. Fired up for this conversation and planning the content here. Realize quickly there is a marketing discipline that we have completely disregarded on this podcast, and that is PR. So I wanted to talk to Lindsey Groper, who is the president at Blast Media, about modern day PR, how it has changed, how it has evolved, and how they are working with their clients on making sure that their message and content gets in front of the right people at the right time. If you like what we're doing over here, follow, subscribe, hit all the buttons. Most importantly, tell a marketing friend that you're enjoying Modern Day Marketer. Without further ado, let's kick it to the conversation. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the show. Excited for this conversation. I think I was talking with my guest uh, a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about the show and the content and what we like to talk about and realized that there was a void when it comes to PR. And so I know there are a lot of PR professionals out there, uh, a lot of uh, SaaS founders uh, who are thinking about PR. So I figured uh, now might be a good time to talk about defining modern day PR in B2B. I am joined by Lindsay Groper, who's the president of Blast Media. Lindsay, welcome. How are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for inviting me. As I was going through the various episodes of your podcast after you approached me, I'm like, surely they've talked about PR. Like there's such an intersection between content and PR and all things B2B and you haven't yet. So I am honored to be the first voice representing the PR world. Thank you for inviting me. Yes, I'm going to be this. I'm going to ask the questions, but I'm going to be the student here too. And looking forward to learning from you. Uh, Maybe before we kick things off, Blast Media, as someone in the local Indianapolis tech market, it's been a familiar brand. And I think, you know, you all have done an amazing job of uh, working with some of the top SaaS brands from across the the country. And um, but for anyone who might not know Blast Media and what you guys all do, maybe give the skinny. Happy to. So we are approaching our 18th year, which is pretty insane. And we are, if you if you think of us in the marketing agency category, we're a bit of an anomaly in that what we started out doing 18 years ago is still what we're doing today. Uh, so we started Blast Media as a tech PR agency, and we are still a PR agency serving technology clients. We are, are highly niche in that today, those technology clients are all B2B SaaS companies, um, but we still live and breathe in the world of public relations. So um, not a full service marketing agency, but we we serve B2B SaaS companies of, of really all shapes and sizes, not necessarily super early stage, true startups. We'll get into the reasons why, but certainly that growth stage all the way up to publicly traded B2B SaaS companies. So um, it's been a super fun ride. I've been with the uh, companies since their first couple of months uh, outside of our uh, founder and CEO. I was the first official employee 18 years ago. So worn a ton of hats. It's been, I wish we would have written a book. It's been a crazy fun journey. Um, but we have uh, a little over 50 of us today. Most of us are based in Indianapolis, and we do have a handful of remote team members as well. It's uh, not often that you get to speak with someone who has been in kind of the, the SaaS world and in the same company for 18 years. So I'm sure there's been a lot that you've seen and changes along the way. And Maybe we we start there with just like changes uh, on the PR front. I'm curious, like maybe 
five, 10 years ago, kind of what PR looked like, what clients or prospective clients were coming to you for, and maybe how has that, like their needs and wants shifted over the last, you know, decade or so? Yeah, I'll go, I'm going to have to go 18 years back before I go five to 10 years back. Because when I say this, you're going to be like, Lindsay, this certainly this was like 40 years ago. But when we started Blast Media, there the iPhone didn't exist and there was no social media and newspapers were literally just coming online. It, Google was around, but certainly not in the way it was today. So uh, you imagine that world, it sounds like it should be prehistoric and so long ago, but it really wasn't that long ago. So you can imagine our world being news, how different the news landscape looked, how people got their news when we started Blast Media was really through all of the traditional methods. So it was radio. Yeah, actual radio. It was TV. It was print. It was broadcast. There was some online, but it was pretty straightforward. And when we were doing PR for tech companies then, um, and specifically B2B, uh, SaaS didn't exist. There wasn't a, a cloud delivery model. Literally, our clients would ship us their software on disks and we would ship them out to editors. Uh, everything was on-prem, um, had to be installed. And so, you know, that that whole landscape has shifted, obviously, and, and we've shifted along with it. But when you think about PR then, there was a very short journey between awareness and conversion or short path to awareness and conversion. So if I'm a IT decision maker at an enterprise and I literally will look at Macworld Magazine and read about a new solution for my org- enterprise organization, it would say, go buy it here. And I might ask some peers, might email a couple people, do some research on my own, but but really I would go do that thing. And today the path from awareness to conversion is insanity with so many steps along that journey. And it's the biggest challenge for marketers right now. And I feel for y'all because we're so you know niche and specific in what we do. But for you CMOs and VP of marketing, I understand trying to figure out where you should invest your dollars along that customer journey, where you should be not investing, what's really having the you know highest impact, that's rough. And so when we look at PR today, and this is you know, even you know 10 years ago, is when, when you're specifically looking at B2B, it be, it's less about buyer product because there are so many competing products, whether that's a platform or a point solution that does a little bit of what you do, the choices are have magnified so much that it's less about buyer products and more about educating those buyers on the value and potentially even educating them on the problem that exists. You might be lucky enough, I shouldn't say lucky enough, you might be in a category that's highly competitive. Everybody understands the problem and they're just trying to figure out which vendor is best. But for other of you who are listening, you're in a, a, a category that might be newer and people don't even know that this problem exists, let alone that there's a solution for it. So it really becomes much more about, PR becomes more about education and then it does, here's the product and product review and buy it now. So that's been a, a big shift that we've seen. 
You mentioned all of these uh, steps on the customer journey and like where PR can kind of uh, plug in and help support through education. Maybe talk a little bit about maybe like some of those steps just to give listeners some sort of perspective on like ways they should be thinking about like, uh, okay, this might be a lever or a part in our customer's journey where we can think about PR when we might not have thought about it before. Sure. Uh, and, and really for most people listening, if, if you don't, if you don't have a lot of PR experience, you're likely thinking, um, man, yeah, well, we put out press releases, we do PR. That's not educating anyone that's talking about our product. That's talking about an upgrade. That's talking about maybe it's a you know, new C-level hire and that's okay. Press releases aren't really designed to educate and to change opinions and tell a story. They're moments in time. PR always has and always will primarily play the top of that funnel, that awareness funnel. But if you're one of those organizations who has flipped that funnel where you're really doing the tailored messaging first and then widening that as you go, PR still has its place in there. So if you are, for example, um, working in ABM strategy and you have a specific uh, campaign that's going to, uh, let's just say the top 100 banks in the US, you sell, sell into banks, is your PR strategy can complement that by focusing solely on the banking trade industry press. There are podcasts, there are magazines, there are online outlets, there are newsletters uh, that really speak to the problem that the technology is solving to that banking industry and help further that ABM effort by getting exposure in that particular vertical, for example. Um, Or you may be fairly wide in your messaging. Maybe you have the even broader challenge of you can really sell your shit to anyone, um, (laughs) which is a whole other um, challenge in and of itself. And maybe your message is more broad and maybe you're going to a bigger audience around three questions you should ask when changing out your ERP system, right? And that um, can speak to a number of different buyers, number of different verticals, but it does play in that top of the funnel mostly. But the other places it can plug in is really when you start to get into more of the advocacy and leveraging your customers in press as well, which ultimately helps with that uh, retention and advocacy of your customers. So that's playing in a different level of the funnel. So it can be plugged in in multiple places. You just know need to know where and how to use it. You said a lot there and there's probably, we could even go deeper and there, we could probably spend the rest of the conversation just talking about this topic. And I think if you're, if I'm thinking about just the modern day marketer who uh, understands this at some level, chances are that maybe their boss or their boss's boss might not have the same perspective of kind of modern day PR strategy. So they might be thinking, oh, we want to invest in PR. Why do we need a press release? Does anyone read that anymore? So if you're the marketer, I guess that is, you know, trying to push your your brand forward and you understand a lot of what you just described, like what what do you think are the best ways to start that conversation mm-hmm. internally so you can start, you know, getting uh, stakeholder buy-in to start doing the things that you just described? Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite quotes, um, and it's not my own, uh, I, I don't even know to whom to attribute it. I've just heard it before, um, which is scaling revenue wins quarters, but a strong brand wins categories. So what's the cost of not investing in brand and having that strong brand? It's a huge cost and huge detriment. Now, my answer is different depending on certainly size and scale of company. 
But that that answer tends to hold true of you can't not invest in brand. And for a lot of you who play in competitive categories, PR is table stakes. Like it's the cost of doing business. You can't not do it because when you look at your competitive set, they're they have a, a C-suite or an SME spokes bench that's everywhere, right? They have internal evangelists. You might think their product is shit and you may know that maybe they actually can't make payroll because you know someone that works there. But on the outside, the perception is that they're growing, they're scaling, there's momentum. Um, so PR is really a, pers- it's an equalizer, all things considered equal. Uh, and if you are up against a Goliath competitor who has, you know, you can't, so you can't compete on marketing budget. You can't compete on customer logos, um, size of company revenue, et cetera. PR is one of the most cost-effective uh, measures that you can invest in from a marketing standpoint to help shape that credibility and perception, right or wrong. It it does change how people view you. So the I think think about just uh, all the different things we can be doing in marketing, and I think about you know we meet uh, quarterly, we get our plans together, we create goals, and you know whether it's campaigns, you know demand gen content, all of these things, and we're all as a team kind of marching to the same beat and trying to hit these goals. Well, let's say you're uh, one of these brands who hasn't focused in on PR, but you know, you're the marketer who's trying to introduce PR and trying to educate internally on all the benefits. Obviously, we probably should be tr- trying to tie those PR goals back to the broader business goals, but maybe talk a little bit about like successful ways you've seen that done or just advice you have um, to just align kind of PR goals and- with broader marketing goals. Yeah, I'm really glad that you asked that question because PR for some reason gets treated differently than other marketing spends. My guess is, correct me if I'm wrong, but right when you are allocating budget and you're figuring out, you know, what dollars are going to go where and you're investing in different channels, my guess is that you have overarching objectives, marketing objectives, and then you kind of map map those spends and those strategies under how you're it, they're going to help reach those objectives. Is that correct? That, that is correct. Yes. Okay. Um, so for some strange reason, despite the fact that this is usually happening um, inside SaaS organizations, is we do find that PR doesn't get that same treatment. It's like this ancillary spend where you march in and do your quarterly business report and you have your big marketing thing. That's like, oh yeah, Look, and we got some stories. And everyone's like, "Well, that's it's great, but like, what? But what did it do for us? You know, what? What? How did that help our business?" And the PR measurement discussion is as old as time, and it you know will continue. And that's a whole other episode. But what we do as an organization is we start with our client. We say, "Okay, you know, we're under NDA, right? And sh- give us, show us your marketing plan. Show us your dashboard." Show us how you're being measured as the highest level marketer. And we take a look at those objectives and we say, okay, these three right here, we can support. And we'll create a different strategy depending on what that is. Because what we want to have happen is when you go into that QBR is you say, here's my marketing objectives. Here's all of the levers that I pulled to reach them. And PR is now one of several levers that was pulled to reach it. And so it's not necessarily a one-to-one, but you're saying these, this was my bucket investment to hit this goal or reach this objective. And PR is now ingrained within that. 
But we have to understand as your agency, uh, or even if you're doing this internally, you have to understand why you're doing what you're doing to ensure that you're not just throwing stuff against the wall and seeing what sticks, that you're spending effort on the stuff that matters. So a specific example of that, I imagine one of every marketer's uh, objectives has something to do with lead gen pipeline. Maybe it's traffic. Oh, let's say it's organic traffic. We want to lift organic traffic by 10%. I'll just say that. In that instance, then we say, okay, we're going to pick out this objectives. Here's here's how PR can support that. So then we would create key results to hit that help hit that objective that would sound like 60% of all coverage that we secure contains a backlink to the website. That the average domain authority or strength of site on which we're securing coverage is 60 or higher. That 50% of all coverage contains your target SEO key phrase, insert whatever that is. So that it's less about did we get coverage and more about are we being intentional about the type of coverage we're securing to help draw more people to your site. And so that's a one specific example. And there's the KRs are going to be way different depending on what the other one is. It could be to get a 15% lift in closed healthcare vertical deals. So then we have a whole other set of KRs to support that healthcare strategy that would go underneath that. And so again, our, our hope then is that we're being presented alongside in, inside and part of that quarterly business report and not this just separate outside spend, which unfortunately is what traditionally happens. I would imagine there's a lot of marketers out there right now listening that have been thinking about PR and uh, know they need to do it. And I'd be curious based on what you described of going in and talking with a prospective client and looking at that dashboard and seeing the measurements and you know, you, you're doing this process over and over. So, you know, when you can plug in and it, it makes sense and that you're going to be able to help them, they're going to be able to promote their results and it's going to be a successful relationship. I, I'd, I'd love to know, like, what are those things that you and your team see maybe when you're in that dashboard conversation where you're like, you know what, like, this is going to be a really good client. They understand it. They're just missing a little horsepower on the PR side that we can help out with. Yeah. I would say we we know as an agency that we can always impact the larger business goals uh, and specifically the marketing objectives they're in. So it's less about what does the dashboard look like? And it's more about just having done this for so long, what we know we need to be successful. And if listen, if you're sitting here and you're like, I, I believe Lindsay, everything you're saying, and I, I love PR and I understand the importance of brand, my CEO just doesn't get it, thinks it's a waste. It is an uphill battle for sure. But here are the things that that tend to make a client go from good to great, or things that we even look for when looking at a, a client to work with. This, these are going to sound so obvious, but you'd be surprised. One is participation from the right people. So if you have an interest in becoming a category leader, a thought leader, we have to have access to your leaders and their thoughts, plain and simple. Like we, So um, we have to have participation from uh, your experts and your spokespeople. And that comes in the form of if we secure an interview, you got to show up. If we ghostwrite a piece after we've talked to your, you know, your CEO and we want that to go to Fast Company and Fast Company needs it next week, I can't get that from you in 30 days. The opportunity is gone. If we have, if something happens in the news, your competitor makes an announcement, we know we can jump on that. You can't get me your reaction next week. 
So we have to have that participation and from the right people. If we work, if, if the only person that we ever communicate with is a, is a junior person, that's fine from a communications flow standpoint, but we have to have conversation with someone who understands what's happening inside the business to be effective. Um, so participation is one. Two is the willingness to be bold and say something different. This doesn't mean you have to be highly controversial or you know set the internet on fire with some crazy statement. But if what you're saying is simply in support of what everyone else is saying, that is not likely to get the best results. So the willingness to re-examine things in a different way, talk about the things that everyone else is a little afraid to talk about, um, is having that bold point of view uh, is really helpful. And two, uh, a relationship built on trust where we've been doing this a really long time. And just like we trust that you know more about your business than we do, you need to trust that we know more about the media and PR than you do, which is why you've hired us. So when we bring you an opportunity, there's a reason. So you 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 can ask all the questions you want. We're happy to provide the info. But if we're saying that you should take this interview or that you should participate in this, it's because we believe it's a good opportunity. And the you know opportunities beget opportunities. So it might not be directly talking about your product or your service or your platform, but it's the right reporter that we're trying to build that relationship with. So if we can provide good commentary on the metaverse on insert the you know chat gpt whatever it is today there's a higher chance that when we need something from them they're more willing to work with us on that so participation boldness trust are the three biggest things I love it. So many good nuggets in there, Lindsay. I, I'd be remiss not to ask uh, about content because I'm someone who uh, creates a lot of content. I, I know majority of the people listening are content creators on, on the other side. Maybe talk a little bit about just the intersection of PR and content marketing and what that looks like from your point of view. For sure. From our perspective, our goal is to wring out as much juice as we possibly can from everything that you're already pouring your blood, sweat, tears, and time into as content marketers. You are already creating exceptional content and you may or may not have the budget or staff to promote that outside of your four digital walls. Yes, you're promoting it on social media, but where we come in is we take an inventory and say, what, what exists currently that we can breathe new life into and what assets do we have coming down the pike that we can slice, dice, rework in a way and keep that piece living for six months down the road. So an example of that is if you, if you are releasing a, I'm going to say like longer form, it's a ebook, it's a report, it's a survey, it's a you know state of X type of a report. Those things take a lot of time and resources to create. So we get our hands on that before it's public and before you release it on your website. And we start to pull out the pieces. Can we go to different verticals with different data points? What type of interview topics can we pull from this? Who can we maybe give this to as a first look so that when the report is released, there is a story about it and the why and the who cares behind it. So all of a sudden, instead of announcing this report, it has a you know spike in interest maybe the first week. What you'll find is six months down the road, there are still stories coming out that are referencing data points that link back to the report. And so then looking at that overall 
impact that that report has when you have PR support behind it makes you look good, makes us look good, but it helps just gain additional value out of stuff you're already doing. And then the same thing, even with blog content is we're able to take a look at your blog content and even past, let's say it was 30 days ago. And we might say, Oh, didn't you guys do a blog post on, you know, this particular topic, this is all of a sudden like kind of back in the press, or maybe it was last quarter. We can take that and pitch it as a topic. It's already fleshed out and attach a spokesperson to it and offer interviews about it or reactive quotes that we can pull from it. So we're hitting all the people that are likely going to be writing stories about this trending topic with already a canned quote for them to use if they need it. So we love working with content teams. We love when we have a some sort of a content manager or writer that is part of our client team because we do work really well and and hopefully make their jobs easier and make them shine bright so they can go in and say this one piece of content. Wow, look at it. And look at all the things that we did to help promote it and show all the traffic back to that landing page and potential downloads. So I know uh, content marketers are very ambitious people and we get stuck in this cycle where it's like, all right, we've got this piece we've been working on, we're going to publish it. And then instead of maybe taking a step back and thinking about, all right, well, we can build out this distribution plan. We can think about PR on this piece from this perspective. We can you know, promote it through social. We can hit, hit it with a bunch of influencers. Like a lot of times, just because this is what we've always done, we just go move on to the next piece, mm-hmm. right? And we just say, okay, that hopefully that thing just works out and all the algorithms and people see it and whatever. And we just hit this cycle. And I kind of refer to it as the uh, kind of being on the content hamster wheel. So I guess in mar- from a marketing perspective, like there are times where we take a step back and be like, holy shit, like the last quarter we you know produced you know 40 pieces of content but we haven't really done a a good job of making sure that we're getting as much juice out of it as we can. So like in that scenario, maybe like talk to me a little bit about just like how like a PR agency like Blast goes into those conversations and kind of works with content teams and consults with them on all the possibilities with all that work that's already been done. Yeah. Uh, So we definitely look at past work. We'll take a look at not you know, maybe not last year because things change a lot, but take, you know, look at the last 90 days, but we're talking all inclusive content. So we're looking at webinars. If you host a podcast, we're looking at your blog series. We're looking at your longer form resources to get a sense. Number one of what is the common narrative? Like what is the thing that's pulling this all together to make sure that we're aligned with that. But then also being able to say, it looks like that you had a webinar with three top lead, you know, three VPs of sales from, you know, these, these companies, would they be willing to speak to the press about this topic? Because then all of a sudden we're able to offer some resources and help weave in some of the messaging and leverage them as customers. Um, so webinar topics are great. Same thing with podcasts, uh, but then future looking, we'll say, what do you have planned out? Because if you have a report specifically that we know is coming out in 90 days, we need to start ideating on that today on what does that look like if you have a survey that you're going to be executing for to whichever um, that could be customers that could be you know paid survey to an external audience um, but we can help shape those questions based on our desired outcome from a PR perspective um, because oftentimes those surveys fall flat because all it does is reinforce 
the value prop of the company. And media is like, yeah, no shit. You're saying that it's like e-signatures are being adopted at a higher rate in your DocuSign. It's like, got it. Um, so being able to, to ask questions a different way or get to a different outcome that's going to help that report or that, that data be more sticky, uh, we can help shape that. Um, and the other place where we really rely on content teams uh, to plug in with us is when we are writing content on your spokespeople's behalf is being that either first go round or last. So like before it goes to your, uh, your chief product officer, if that's our spokesperson, the content lead is reviewing that making sure like, Hey, I've written for this person before, or just based on what I know, cause I live inside the organization. I'm going to make these changes first before it goes to the spokesperson. We rely on them a lot to help us finalize and polish up those pieces before they're sent off to the press. I want to maybe close out this conversation by talking about just the uh, media landscape. And I know um, if we're thinking about five to 10 years ago, a lot has changed. Uh, yeah pretty dramatic changes, but uh, not every, we're, we're not always in it in a day-to-day basis and understanding those changes and why they matter. So maybe like from, from your perspective, like talk a little bit about everything that's changed and maybe just as marketers, like what are ways yeah. that we can be nimble and start to adapt to some of those changes? Yeah. 10 years ago, it's changed a bunch. Uh, Brett, give me a media outlet that you read like a more, it could be a marketing one, or maybe it's, you know, more of like a fast company, but what are some of the things that you read? Well, I'm a big sports guy. So I'm an, I'm an athletic subscriber. So I, that's an everyday thing. It's like, what what are my teams doing? What are the beat writers uh, sharing about the team? Any information there that I can get? Yeah. So I can use that example. Uh, if you, so 10 years ago, let's just say there's ESPN, the magazine or sports illustrated, right? Those are like the biggest ones. Then you have all your little, you know, sub sports and all that. Um, But if you opened up the pages of sports illustrated, all of the articles inside of that were written by people who worked at sports illustrated magazine. They were employed by them. They were full-time writers. That is their job. It's what they do. I don't even know if they're still printing the magazine, but now you go to si.com And yes, you'll have some recognizable people that have been there forever. And you'll have some that, you know, the key analysts there, but you'll also come across an article where you're like, who the fuck is this guy? Like, how is this guy writing a piece for SI.com? He's like, you know, the, uh, the assistant compliance officer, like North Dakota central backwood state. And you're like, what, what is this? How did this guy get in this, you know, getting commentary in this outlet? This is where the biggest change has happened over the last 10 years is the shrinking newsrooms. So insert any media outlet. 10 years ago, A, people were in office and you could call them at their desk phone uh, and you knew who covered what. There was there was a lot of people who worked inside and were employed by news organizations. This shift started happening, I would say, probably 20, eh, probably about 10 years ago. It's right at about 10 years ago is newsrooms started to shrink Uh, And what it was being replaced with is contributors. So, or you could think of them as almost like freelancers, but essentially these are people who are not staffed by these news outlets, but they are contributing writers, contributing editors. So I'm writing a piece specifically, it is going under my name, Lindsay Groper, and I am am writing this, this for a fee. That really changed, has changed the face of specifically B2B PR 
in that traditionally you would pitch a reporter and they'd say, that's interesting. Like that topic, I'm going to interview that person. And then they'd take the time to set up the interview, interview that person. And then they themselves would write a story about the topic that you two have discussed. What happens now more often than not is you will pitch someone and they will say, really cool. Um, I'm covering six beats now and I'm, I'm backed up. I, I have no, no bandwidth. Could you, could y'all write it? They're like, Oh yeah, we could write it. It's a win because we are controlling the messaging, but we also have to be very cognizant of it, not being too self-serving or talking about our product. But what happens then is we go back and say, okay, you know, we just talked to your founder about this particular topic. And I'm talking like a fast company. I'm not talking like only trade magazines. Fast company will say really interesting piece. Can the founder write it and send it to us for review to potentially publish? So, and that holds true for trade more so than the national outlets, but that's really where it's changed is now we are becoming the journalists as well. And that's where you see these bylined articles, some call it contributed content. It might be guest posts where it, that's where that education and problem solving comes in. So that's where you might be able to talk to a, a tech target on, you know, the changing face of IT, um, of IT managers. And because your solution is a platform that helps IT managers get tickets, you know, tickets answered quicker or automates tickets. So that's really where more of that education comes in versus being able to have a product review or have an interview happen. They still do. Both of those things still happen, just uh, less and less frequently. So in that scenario, like the fast company scenario where the CEO is writing instead of being interviewed or quoted based on an article, like what have you seen over that, you know, the last 10, like 10 years or so, like the per perception from like the audience that they're trying to reach do, do have, have we learned that the, our audiences like that more, they like the exposure, the direct access or thoughts from the CEO of that brand. Or is there a preference still for, Hey, I know this person at fast company. I read their articles all the time. It's interesting to get read these quotes from the CEO. Like, I'll go check out what their business is doing. Is there have we have we learned? Is there a preference one way or the other based on these changes? Not really. By and large, the general population has no clue who's writing what. They just see Fast Company and are like, "That I trust that. That's reputable," and don't really even notice who's writing. Mr. Who's writing what? Um, but where those, you know, those logos still certainly are are aspirational. They have a, a high reach, but it's not necessarily where your buyers live. So it's important to not focus on that tier one press at the expense of your trade or industry media, really where your prospects are are making their decisions and relying on that as well. But uh, those logos still are are good, for, especially as a startup. I mean, those are good for credibility, but it also depends what your goal is. So if right now your biggest goal is uh, hiring and you're looking to promote your unique, your unique culture, maybe it's your, you know, specific DEIB initiatives, a, in, you know, a piece in fast company that your CEO has penned about how, you know, how and why their organization values inclusion and all of the different programs that are in place that in itself then can be handed to HR 
to be used in LinkedIn recruiting and title target, you know, targeting those folks that um, they're looking to hire. And so that just becomes like a whole, you know, that's just a whole mm-hmm. other goal of why you're doing something. And Fast Company might be the best place for that. It's again, it's not going to be in tech target necessarily, um, unless you're looking to hire developers. And then potentially that could be a great place for you. But that's where sort of having this this strategic PR lens comes into play too is you tier one's great, but a lot of times um, that becomes the focus. It's it's really not necessarily what's going to have the most impact. I want to maybe close this conversation out with um, maybe some advice um, on your end to anyone listening who's thinking about the starting their PR journey. We've covered a ton of ground. Hopefully everyone goes back and listens because I think there's a ton of good information here, but just like getting started, like what is one, one piece of advice that you'd like to share in closing? I would say that if you, if you're just starting out and you don't have a PR budget, it's okay. PR while it's built, yes, relationships matter. They matter less than they used to, um, because there's just fewer relationships to have a, uh, and also really what matters almost more than that is your ability to tell a story and bring them something unique and timely. So if you don't have the budget to hire an external PR agency, you can do it internally on a small scale. Identify a spokesperson, schedule 30 minutes with them, come with very specific questions for them to answer, and then take some topics from that and just cherry pick a couple members of the press that are writing about your industry or that topic and start from there. Uh, Try and send them an email. If you do have budget for a PR agency, start small. Look, find something that's newsworthy and start on a project basis to show the value of PR and some early wins with your CEO who might not be on the PR train. Um, Start on a project basis. I do not recommend as a small company, if you're early stage startup, it does not make sense for you to spend over hundred grand a year on a 12 month contract with PR when you're like, should we spend it on PR or demand gen? Put it in demand gen. You got to get customers. It's not an either or thing. And I would never tell you to do that, despite the fact that this is how we live as a business. That does not make sense for you. Start small. And as you scale, PR then becomes one other marketing spend that you add in on top of to complement and support, but it should not be a find and replace as one of your first spends. Learned a ton. Lindsay, thank you. Hopefully everyone out there enjoyed this conversation. Uh, You you are the catalyst for our PR chats here on uh, Modern Day Marketer, uh, Lindsay. So this is certainly something that I want to dig into and talk more. So uh, maybe we'll have you back on in that next phase because I think there's a ton of information that Uh, you shared that we could probably go a layer or two deeper. Thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks so much for having me. It was fun. Really enjoyed that one with Lindsay. She's a wealth of knowledge. I certainly am thinking about PR and how we should approach the market a little bit different than I did before I met her. Go check out Blast Media, doing some really cool stuff. Take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. And we'll be back, more Modern Day Marketer on the other side.